0: Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. we find this definition, a disciple is applied principally to the followers of Christ a disciple of Christ is one who believes his doctrine, rests on his sacrifice, imbibes his spirit, and imitates his example. And that number three, because it's uh, in 1890, the word's a bit di- different. It just means to consume his spirit. In other, mean, in, in other words, to allow the Holy Spirit to flow through us and to work through us. That's what it means. But for tonight, I want to focus on point number four, to imitate his example. That's why we need to focus on the words and works of Jesus. I mean, how do we follow someone's example if we do not know what example he set? How do we live by someone's teaching if we do not know what he taught? And that's why it's so crucial for us. I mean, even just the gospel passages, 89 chapters, from the beginning of Matthew to the end of John. And if you read about half an hour a day, you'll be able to read it in, in two weeks' time. But if you finish reading it in two weeks, it's not done, and now it's finished. The truth of the gospel is that it's alive and it's active. It's words that change our life. So even those 89 chapters that we can read every two weeks, if you start today and say, okay, even till the day that I die, I'm going to read these 89 chapters every two weeks. If we are close to God and we read the word of God, it will bring change. No matter if it's the same passage we read over and over. We'll never arrive at a place where we are, okay, already, already heard this already know this verse because it's not about how well we know it but how well we live it out how good an example of christ we set to the people around us and there's no better passage of scripture that explains this than the one we're going to go through tonight um, the parable of the good samaritan i mean a parable that most of us have maybe heard 100 times 50 times 10 times and even if you heard it only once it's not about how well we know the passage, but by how we let this passage shape our life. How we let the truth of the gospel imitate the way we, we live. Let us be conformed into the image of Jesus. So if you can read with me either on the screens or in your Bibles, it's from Luke ten twenty five to thirty seven and it says One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and as he was attacked by bandits, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, or a Levi, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where they took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. A passage we're all very familiar with, but just to dissect it into smaller pieces and to see what this passage is actually trying to say, if we can quickly go to the next slide, Luke ten twenty-six. Now, to understand this man's question at the beginning, it was, it was very weird for me the answer this man gave. I mean, um, if, you, if you want to rephrase this man's question, he's asking Jesus, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, as Carla also shared, John 3, verse 16 says, whoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life. So when this man states a command and he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, I expected Jesus' answer to be, it's a very good answer, but not quite the right one. Why didn't Jesus say, believe in me? Because we know that salvation is earned by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. So why is this the right answer? A bit difficult. Difficult. I mean, if someone would come to you today and ask you, what must I do to be saved? What would your answer be? Quickly just think about that. We would say believe in Jesus. Because there's nothing you can do to be saved. What did Peter and Paul say as you read through the epistles? Faith in God. By faith in God, there's nothing you can do. Ephesians 2 verse 8, there's no works we can perform to end salvation. It's by grace alone. So what is Jesus saying here? Because the scripture never contradicts itself. Varis taught us that the last two weeks. So whenever it looks like scripture is contradicting itself, we need to see what is actually trying to be said here. And now we must look at the man that asked the question. So this is an expert in religious law. 10 to 1, a Pharisee. Someone who says, you know, "I, I know God. I have faith in God. I believe God. And I love God. So what Jesus is saying to him here when he says, yes, this is the right question, but only if you do this, Jesus is saying, this is what faith in God looks like. Yes, you can only be saved by faith through Christ, but if it doesn't shape your life, if it doesn't end in a love for God and a love for those around you, then you should ask yourself, is this a genuine faith? Is this a real faith? Same with the rich young ruler. Come to ask Jesus a question. What must I do? To inherit eternal life. What does Jesus say? Read some of the Ten Commandments. The same thing, you know what you should do, but you are failing to do it because you don't have that genuine connection with God. Is this a real faith? Is this a faith that changes the way I live my life? That is at the heart of this. And we know this. We read in 2 uh, Corinthians 5 17. All who are in Christ, everyone who accepts the finished work of Jesus on the cross, is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. There must be a change in the way we live our lives. And that change should be love for God and a love for the people around us. We read it in James 2 verse 17. Faith without works is dead. So what Jesus is saying to this man, if you do not go and do this, your faith that you claim to have is dead. Pope Benedict XVI actually writes this well. He says, the gospel is not only informative words, but performative words. It should be a work that we perform, it should be a words that shape our life. It must bring change. A faith that brings change in our life. And if we can go to the next slide, the man realized this. He realized what Jesus was saying, but then he thought himself at first, you know, because now he's, 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 he's wondering, you know, do do I really believe? Do I really love God? Because Jesus just said if I don't go and do this, then all is in vain. So now he's wanting to justify his actions think okay maybe maybe the problem doesn't lie with me maybe the problem is with those around me maybe they are not worthy enough for my love maybe they are not good enough for me to love and every time i read this question i'm so glad jesus did not ask this to the father imagine just before the father sends the son to earth to come and pay for sins what if jesus asked okay father i'll go but who is worthy Who is there on earth that will be able to deserve what I'm about to do? Or who will there be by by the way they live their lives, prove worthy for the sacrifice that I'm about to make? What would the answer be? No one. And Jesus would have stayed. But he came to model to us unconditional love. Not asking who is worthy, but I will come and set the example. I will come and show what true love is. And we know that jesus doesn't entertain the man's question he doesn't tell him who his neighbor is but he gets straight to the problem and the problem lies with the man's heart and this passage is not trying to teach us who is our neighbor it's not trying to teach us how to be a good neighbor because we are not called to be good neighbors we're called to be disciples that leads us to be good neighbors but we are called to be disciples so what this passage is about it's asking the question is the love and the faith that you have for God, leading you to be more like Jesus? It's the faith you have, the belief you have in God, the words that you hear, because this man was an expert in religious law, he knew all of the scriptures. Is it leading you to be more like God, to represent Him to the people out there? Now you know why the man wanted to justify his actions, because it's quite a hard question. And Jesus is asking the same question to us sitting here tonight. Is the faith that we have, the love that we have, leading us to be more like Jesus? Because many times we measure maturity by how much we know. And Jesus is saying it's worth nothing if you don't do it. You can know one verse and actually do it, and someone can know a thousand verses but not perform one. The one who knows one verse is more mature. Because it's a better representation of Jesus. It's another question we should ask ourselves how do we know? How do we know if we are more like Jesus? In which area should there be growth? Where should we focus and how does this growth take place? If we can quickly go to the next slide. It's found in the man's arms here. It says you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. If we want to sum it up a bit better, just a bit easier to, to remember, we should love God with our head, our hearts, and our hands. Head, heart, and hands. All that we are. And if we love God with our head, our hearts and our hands, those three areas should change. All of them should be shaped into the way that Jesus came to model for us. But let's start with the head because it normally starts with the head. It doesn't always start there. Sometimes Jesus moves our heart to compassion for certain people, certain areas, maybe for certain countries. You really want to go on a mission there, but you don't know why. It's just God that changes your heart for those specific people. But many times it starts with the head. And to give you a practical example, Let's say, maybe you've experienced this. Um, there's someone you just can't get along with this person. You know, you, you dislike them a bit. You, you don't know why they do what they do. You don't know why they act the way they act. And then as time goes by, uh, maybe someone tells you, but, but you find out what this person has been through in life. And it's heartbreaking. Or, or maybe you know what they're going through at that moment. And all of a sudden, from disliking this person, your heart changes to compassion. And love. Because you know what they are going through. So we see it starts at the head and it moves down to the heart. And many times it works like that. We can see here in Colossians 3 verse 10. It says, put on your new nature. Again, speaking about when we come to Jesus we must be made new. And be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Seeing that it's starting with knowledge. But that word know there is also about an intimate knowing. Relationship. And knowledge—a um, verse we all know also well: Romans 12:2. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the, the perfect will of God. Starts at the head, moves down to the heart, and this is the this is the easiest place for us to grow in. And that's why we can't stay at just knowing that Jesus came to die for us, and that's fine. Because we have to replace lies with the truth. We have to replace the wrong views we have about life with the right views that Jesus teaches. And this is for us the easiest place to grow in, in knowledge. It's as easy as coming tonight, sitting down and hearing someone preach a sermon and you learn something. Or going home, opening up your Bible, starting to read information gained. Maybe reading a Christian book. But this is the easiest place for us to grow in. It takes us to point number one. Let the Word of God shape your thoughts. But as this is the easiest place to grow in, it's also the place where we normally get stuck. We get a bit stuck here. This is where the expert in the law was stuck, along with most of the Pharisees, Sadducees of his day. As we read through the Gospels, all of the clever people, they, they just can't seem to, to realize that it's God himself standing in front of them. Jesus, the promised Messiah that came the people that should represent God the best because they know the word of God the best. But they failed. They failed to do it. They failed to move from the head to the heart. They failed to show love for the people around them. We see this countless times through, through the scriptures. But now to ask ourselves the question, how do we go from knowing to willingly doing? Not only to doing because we can just do stuff, but to willingly doing how do we change our hearts? How do we change our convictions? Because many of us know, think about um, something like this. Who of you have had an area in your life, maybe something, someone, or what, whatever it might be, but you know you shouldn't do it, but you keep on doing it anyway. You just can't seem to stop doing this thing. You know it's wrong, but you keep doing it. So the knowledge is there, but the conviction, the value in the heart, it's, it's missing. We know it, but we just can't seem to do it. Or, this is, a, this is a nice one. We know that we should love people unconditionally. No matter how they are, no matter how they act, we should love them because Jesus came to love us in the same way. But who's that person that you just, you just dislike this person? You, you can't seem to love her. Just quite doesn't get there. He irritates you or she irritates you. We know the truth, but we struggle to perform it. We know we should love, but but we struggle. If we can go to the next slide, this illustrates it just quite well. It's what Jesus was trying to, to say to the man, your actions, what you do, reveal what you believe and what your convictions are. Belief symbolizing the head, convictions the heart, action the hands. So what you believe should go into the heart so that the actions can be changed. And you know, some of us, we're stuck at belief, but we're going to see tonight how we move there from belief to convictions. And some of us even stuck at conviction. You know the right thing to do. You feel you should do it. Maybe, you know, lay your hands on someone that's sick. You know you should pray for this person, and you really want to pray for that person, but you just, you just can't. You see that person at work. You know they need to hear about Jesus. You want to tell them, but you just quite can't. It just doesn't get there. And just, that's just because we're not yielded to God. You know, the first call of the gospel, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. We know what to do, the heart's there, but we just can't quite do it. And the more we do it, that's actually, uh, the more we do it, the more we know what to do, the more we feel in our heart that we should do it, and we don't do it, we harden our hearts. And we'll actually lose that conviction. And, but we'll go through it tonight to see what we can do to change that to actions. If we can go to the next slide, just to illustrate this point again. So if we're thinking about the priest, the priest is someone whose work is to mediate between God and man. They should go hear from God, they do service in the temple, they make sacrifices for the people. So they're standing just between God and man. You know, they are supposed to be the best representatives of God on earth. You know, going to to the temple, coming out, this is what God has said. The Levites as well, they were always in the temple, busy working in the temple, people close to God. The temple signified the presence of God. They should be the people close to God representing him best, and they knew the right thing to do. Jesus again making this point. Two people that knew the right thing to do passed by on the other side of the road. They knew the right thing to do, but the heart wasn't quite there. The hands wasn't quite there. And then we see verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion. Now whose heart does verse 33 illustrate the heart of Jesus. Countless times through scripture, Luke 7, Matthew 9, Matthew 20, Mark 10, John 11, Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. Two blind men coming to Jesus had compassion on them. We see Jesus in Luke 11, uh, John 11, Lazarus has just died, his sisters call him Martha and Mary. And when Jesus gets there, Jesus knows he's going to raise this guy from the dead. He knows everything's going to be fine, but he still weeps. He still cries with him. The heart of Jesus had compassion. He had love for the people around him. And not only a compassion for physical needs. When he saw the people on the plains, he said, I have compassion on them because they are lost, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Pray that the Lord sent laborers into the harvest field. Speaking about the fact that they do not know God had compassion for them, a willingness so that they can be connected to God the Father. The blind man, physical needs, Lazarus that's dead, you know, the the heartache in the family, Jesus had compassion for all those areas of life. And he's calling our hearts to come and imitate the same. But again, and and, and this is also a good illustration because Jesus' compassion cost him his life. Cost him his life. He didn't just come and help someone carry their groceries to the car. He came to die for us. The Good Samaritan, costly compassion. Cost him something, cost him his time, cost him time with his animal, cost him money. Costly compassion. When is the last time our hearts stirred for costly compassion? Because we we must make it personal. We need to look at our own hearts. We can't just read this and not gauge to ourselves. How are we doing? When is the last time your heart just broke for someone? How is your compassion doing? And now again the, the question, can we change our hearts? How can we change our hearts? And the answer is, we can't. If we go to the next slide, it says in Ezekiel thirty six, twenty six, God speaking. And he says, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone, the heart of no compassion, the heart of no love. The selfish heart and I will give you a heart of flesh one that feels one with compassion a heart after my own heart that wants to see the good of those around him with the same zeal that he wants to see the good of himself the same good and then Titus 3 verse 5 he saved us again speaking of salvation not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit it's God Himself that brings that change. And one lesson we learn from this: it doesn't matter how much you know about God, it doesn't mean you're close to God. It doesn't matter how much you know about God, it doesn't mean you're yielded to God. We see this in this passage: three people, the expert in the law, the priest, the Levite. They knew what to do, it doesn't mean they were close to God. It doesn't mean they were yielded to God. And in this context of Titus as well, I think it's in verse eight that it says. All who believe in God insist on this that they devote themselves to good works. Insist that the people who say they believe in God show that they believe by the way they live their lives, by their actions. Because it's easy to say I believe. It's difficult to show. Very difficult to show. And that word renewal that we find in Titus 3 is the same word we find in Romans 2, verse 12, by the renewals of your mind. Same word we find in Colossians 3 verse 10, being renewed. Metamorpho, the Greek word, speaks about physical change taking place. A change that can be seen, evident in our lives. One other place in the New Testament where it comes up in the Greek, it's this Titus 3. Renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's only God himself that brings that change. We also read that Paul writes in Romans, speaking about circumcision. He says, you have a circumcision not done by human hands by the circumcision of the heart that comes from God alone. Jesus says it well in John 6:63. 6, he says, the spirit gives life, the flesh is no help at all. We can't bring that change, God alone. But we need to be close to God. And that is why you can read that same 89 chapters of the Bible. And if you're close to God, it will bring change every single time. You'll be more and more transformed into the image of God. If you're close to God and you abide in his words. That takes us to point number two only God himself can change your heart another convicting question prompted by this passage how near to God are you how yielded to God are you because if you spend time in the Word of God and you are close to God then you should be transformed into the image of his son then he told that exactly this word at the intercession just just before the service if we are in the presence of God the fruit of the Spirit must come out. It can happen no other way. John 15, Jesus says, He is the vine, we are the branches. Everyone who abides in him, meaning everyone that has a relationship with me, everyone that's close to me, everyone that believes in me, and everyone that has faith in me, he it is that bears much fruit. He doesn't say he will bear much fruit. He doesn't say he can bear much fruit. Will maybe someday bear fruit. He it is that bears much fruit. He is bearing fruit. If you are connected to God, you will bear much fruit. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, same thing. As we all behold the glory of the Lord, in Scripture, the words and works of Jesus, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image. Are being transformed into the same image. Not will be, not can be. You are being transformed. If you are close to God, spending time in His Word, yielded to Him, we will be transformed into the image of His Son. And maybe tonight, this message is not, not to condemn any of us. That's, that's not God. And God says, you know, to, to this man as well, even though for years he's known the right thing to do and failed to do it, at the end of that passage, Jesus still says, go and do it. He'll always have another chance. Draw near to me and I'll draw near to you, God says in his word. This is as he says, he's drawing near to God and he will draw near to us. Praying to God, he will draw near. Read his word, he will draw near. He's not a God for for uh, for out of reach so if, if we have these two things you know if we allow the word of God to shape our thoughts and we are close to God that he changes our heart what remains if you can go to the next slide simple instruction right Jesus told him do this and you will live then Jesus said yes now go and do the same and that is the invitation that Jesus has for us tonight We sang that song that that carl also sang i will follow you lord wherever you lead this is the invitation of jesus imitate me go now do the same that is what he expects of us he doesn't want us to be people full of knowledge that knows the right thing you know and we can tell people what to do but we don't do it ourselves how many times have you know this this happens to me a lot someone comes to me and and they say you know what what can i do to to change this or or what must i do in this area of my life And then as I tell him what to do, I realize that I know the truth, but I failed to perform it. You know, we love reading books. We love to acquire knowledge. We know the right things to do, but we fail to do it. You know, plans to get us into fitness again, plan to budget and to save, you know, in every aspect of life, we know what to do, but we fail to perform it. And, and, And yeah, I'm not very good at it as well. And that's why we can say thank you for the grace of God. Thank you that there's always another chance. Thank you that we can always draw near. And I want us to take these principles, you know, and as we go through the series and the rest of life, may we never measure our maturity by how much we know. May we always ask ourselves, how well do I do this? The words and works of Jesus, we'll be busy with it till we die. And as you read through that passage the 50th time, don't go, I already know this, but ask yourselves, how well am I doing this? How much am I allowing this passage, these words of God to shape my life, to transform me into the image of Christ? Because faith without works is dead. That takes us to the last point. Let us go and do the same. Let us be a people that imitates God. Let us be a people near to God, obsessed with the words and works of Jesus, so that we can grow, so that we can represent Him to the world. And if you're stuck here at this point, you know, you... You know your heart's there and you know the knowledge and you know what to do and you feel that you should do it, but you just, you just quite can't. Just lay down yourself before God, just surrender to him, just yield to God. Because the first call Jesus gives, you know, is to be disciples of him. But Jesus says, whoever denies himself, takes up his cross and follow me, that is the one worthy to be my disciple. If you cannot deny yourself, you cannot be my disciple. And Paul imitates this very, very well. He writes in Galatians 2 verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Meaning that I've laid down my passions, my desires, the things I want to do so that I can do what Christ calls me to do. And that needs to happen every single day. When I stand up, Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Not my will. Your will be done. I'm just going to quickly finish off by reading a quick paragraph by, by John Piper. And then we pray together. Speaking about this passage. You see, He says, As I see it, the meaning of this passage is this. Our Lord is aiming to call into being loving, compassionate, merciful men and women. Whose hearts summon them irresistibly to action when there is suffering within their reach. And to that he demands that they again and again ask themselves this question am I desiring to seek the temporal and eternal good of the people around me with the same zeal, ingenuity and perseverance that I seek my own challenging question challenging question and we should ask ourselves that question each day Lord with the same zeal that I desire for my life to go well with that same zeal do I desire that for the people around me let stand and pray.